This is the third in our series dealing with personal temptation. Dr. Hunter's first message dealt with why to fight appetite. The second, why to annul rebellion. The temptation for revenge will be a subject for today. From the New American Standard Version, Dr. Hunter will use Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 21. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And now, let's join Dr. Joel Hunter in the continuation of his series on personal temptation. In today's message, The Temptation for Revenge. I'm not on either. Come on now. I think some of you guys are doing that. Not that you needed this pointed out, but just in case. I want you to see a flow here, because it's a flow that matches the Scripture, and it's a flow that matches your life. In this worship, we have gone from a wonderful time of God pouring out His grace and His love, a time of worship when our spirits were lifted up to touch the very hem of God, a time that we could get very personal with God, to kind of a rude interruption of something else that's very personal. And that is something present within us that can turn that vessel of grace into a means of destruction. So too, in the book of Romans, it is a graceful book. It is a wonderful delineation of how God builds His grace into the world. The author, author of, the author and the author of of God's forgiveness. It starts out in the first couple of chapters by describing the devastating effects of sin and what effects that has had on the world, both for the Gentile and the Jew, for us all. And then in verses 3 to 5, it shows us how that remedy comes to us and how the payment of Christ on the cross, that Christ died while we were yet sinners, how that offers to us the freedom from our sin. The freedom from its penalty that anyone can have that forgiveness. Anyone, both for all the sins they've done and all the sins they will do. It's ours absolutely free. And then it builds its case against a couple of objections. The objections are these. If you offer people just forgiveness, just grace, just allow them God's love without them having to earn it, then won't that build sin even more? Won't people sin even more? And so in verses 6 to 8, the apostle says, No, where sin abounds, grace abounds more still. We become more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Well, there's a second objection. Well, if there's a New Testament of grace, doesn't that nullify God's old covenant, God's old promise to Israel? And so, 
in the chapters of 9 to 11, the apostle again says, no, not at all. God is faithful. He will graft back in the nation Israel. God never relinquishes or relents on his promises. And by this time, he has built such an awesome case for a wonderful grace that the chapter 12 begins, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you offer your bodies a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual form of worship. Don't be conformed to this world. Now, there he begins to foreshadow this fly in the ointment that we're about to talk about. There, it begins to say, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good, what is the will of God that is good and acceptable and perfect. Okay? Now that I've stumbled through that part, read the rest of it with me. He goes down through that chapter. And he mentions all of the wonderful possibilities we have. Look at verse 9. Cling to what is good. Verse 10. Be devoted to one another. Give preference to one another. Verse 11. Not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in the Spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Persevering in tribulation. Devoted to prayer. Contributing to the needs. So on and so forth. All of this is wonderful. And then he comes to the fly. Verse 17. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Wait a minute, wait a minute. This is a great picture. We've just experienced the grace of God. We've just confirmed that we're going to be vessels of grace. But he says, you know what? There's evil in the world. There are going to be things that hook you and your emotions into them. And you're going to be tempted to turn from being a vessel of grace to an instrument of destruction. And I want to warn you ahead of time. That's why the next verse says, or the next part of that verse says, respect what is right in the sight of all men. Now that Greek word is prononeo, and it means to think ahead, to plan for this. In other words, these things are going to interrupt your life and they're going to cause anger in your life. Therefore, you've got to determine beforehand what your reaction is going to be. I'm telling you right now, you are going to be angry. You've got to think ahead what your reaction is going to be. And he says in the next verses, and it's not going to just be once or twice that you have to do this. Look at what he says. If possible, so far as it depends on you. Now, there's a wonderful qualifying statement. You are not responsible for everybody else's actions. You're only responsible for your own. So far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge. Now, that's in a present participle, and it means a continuous and repeated action. Continually intend to be at peace with all men. Never take your revenge Keep resisting taking your revenge because this is going to happen again and again and again. And then it says, Beloved, leave room for the wrath. Now, in the New American Standard, it says the wrath of God. But in the Greek, the wrath of uh, the, uh, the words of God is not in there. And I'll explain to you uh, in a minute why not. 
For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. If your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will, re- you will heap burning coals on his head. And I want to assure you, in case I don't get there this morning, that is not what it sounds like. What it sounds like is a holier form of revenge, of revenge, just like the skit was about. That's what the skit was all about. How to be holier than thou and still get your goodies emotionally, knowing that those people who have offended you are going to suffer. No. Here in verse 21 is the piece de resistance. This is the verse that describes the battle between light and darkness, good and evil, and how good overcomes evil to this point in the book. It says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The context of this message, the context of this whole year, is how God brings good out of adversity. More good than if there were no adversity at all. And this series is about our personal temptations that we experience again and again and again. And last week we talked about rebellion. This week we're going to talk about the temptation toward revenge. There is a spot or two or three in all of our hearts that are very tender, very hurtable, that draw a reaction. And that natural reaction is vengeance. The Bible says, don't do it. And we'll tell you why not, and we'll tell you how. In the first place, let's talk about why not. There is no winning with revenge. You've probably heard that before, but maybe you need to be reminded of that. Nobody wins with revenge. Revenge is an all-consuming thing. Let me ask you a question. What do you think it means when the Bible says that the devil prowls around like a lion seeking someone to devour? You know that Satan means adversary. And when, when the Bible says that someone wants to consume someone else, the figurative meaning is that they want to overtake them so that that other person will become a part of their system. Literally, they will take on the character of that person. Could I say this to you? Not very many of you need to be afraid of a direct assault from Satan. He's more crafty than that. But all of us need to be afraid we will become like Satan. That we will become someone's adversary. That's how the system happens. And once you get in there, it's very difficult to get out of there. When I was a little kid, we had, uh, we had a gal in town that babysat for a lot of the little kids. We called her Grandma, Grandma Widener. She didn't have any grandchildren of her old. Little old lady, little hunchback little old lady. And she'd, she'd come and babysit. And when she babysat, she didn't watch TV, she read to us. And I used to love to hear Uncle Remus stories. You remember Uncle Remus? Uncle Remus was a character made up by Joel Chandler Harris around the turn of the century. And they got laid out into stories. And much like Aesop's fables, this was about human foibles put in terms of animals. And Uncle Remus' main characters were Br'er Rabbit, 
Brer standing for brother. Brer fox and Brer bear. Now, this is before political correctness. And so I want to warn you that this is not politically correct, but it doesn't make me love it any less. When I was thinking of this sermon, I was trying to think what getting involved in revenge is like. And some illustration of that piece of us that just is angry enough to go off at anything and start to build up a system of revenge. And I thought about the story of the tar baby. Remember the story of the tar baby? Let me read part of that to you. It is uh, story time. Brer Fox and Brer Bear have this continual quarrel going on with Brer Rabbit. Brer Rabbit's one of the smartest little animals, slickest little animals in all the forest. And they're always trying to catch him. So one day they, they hit on a plan. They said, we'll, we'll build us a tar baby. That just a baby out of tar, we're going to put eyes in him and, and, and Brer Fox plucks hairs out of Brer Bear and he puts hair on it and he puts a coat on him and a hat on him and, and he sits him on a log and they put him in a road, alongside a road that they know Brer Rabbit frequents. That's where we pick the story up. They didn't have to wait long. Pretty soon, they heard a whistling and a humming, and along come Br'er Rabbit prancing, lippity-clippity, sassy as a mockingbird. All to once, he spied the tar baby. Howdy, sing out Br'er Rabbit. The tar baby, he say nothing. Br'er Fox and Br'er Bear, they lay low in the bushes, they say nothing. Br'er Rabbit wait for the tar baby to answer. Then he say louder than before, What's the matter with you? I say, how to do? Is you deaf? If you is, I can holler louder. The tar baby, he say nothing. Br'er fox and br'er bear, they lay low. Then br'er rabbit holler at the tar baby loud as he can. Where's your politeness? Ain't you going to say howdy like respectable folks say when they meet up on the road? The tar baby, he say nothing. And br'er fox and br'er bear, they lay low. Now Br'er Rabbit's sort of mad. He clenched his fist and he walked right up close to the tar baby. If you don't say howdy by the time I count three, I'm going to blip you in the nose. Br'er Rabbit start counting. One, two. But the tar baby, he say nothing. And Br'er Fox and Br'er Bear, they just winked their eyes and grinned. Three, yelled Br'er Rabbit. Now he mighty mad and he dropped back his fist and blip. He hit the tar baby smack in the nose, but Br'er Rabbit's fist stuck in the tar. He can't pull it loose. Now Br'er Rabbit, terrible man. Let go my fist, he holler. With that, he dropped back the other fist, and blip, he hit the tar baby smack in the nose. But this fist stuck in the tar too, and he can't pull it loose. The tar baby, he say nothing. And Br'er Fox and Br'er Bear, they sort of chuckle in their stomachs. If you don't let go of my fist, holler Br'er Rabbit, I'm going to kick your teeth right out of your mouth. Well, sir, Br'er Rabbit kicked. First he pulled back one behind foot and pow, he hit Br'er Rabbit, Br'er Tar Baby in the jaw. I'm sorry. I'm getting all excited here. I'm into this thing. But Br'er Rabbit's behind foot stuck in the tar. Then pow, he hit the Tar Baby with the other behind foot. This foot stuck in the tar too. If you don't let go of my behind foot, squall out, Br'er Rabbit, I'm going to butt you with my head till you ain't got no breath left in your body. 
Br'er Rabbit butted, but his head stuck into tar. Now Br'er Rabbit's two fists, two behind foots, and his head was all stuck into tar, baby. And he pushed and he pulled, but the more he tried to get unstuck, the stucker up he got. Soon Br'er Rabbit is so stuck, but he can't scarcely move his eyeballs. Well, let me just leave the story there. But you hate it when that happens. And tell you that's exactly what happens to you emotionally when you seek revenge. There's no getting unstuck. And that's exactly what Satan wants to have us do, to stop in our journey for God to pay attention to an unsolvable problem at least unsolvable, by revenge. And therefore, when Scripture says, watch out for that little piece in you that wants to get even. You know, one of the most popular bumper stickers is, I don't get mad, I get even. Both of those are a lie. If you weren't mad, you wouldn't be seeking to get even. And you can't get even. Because revenge is not a container, it's an escalator of the battle. And there's something in all of us that just wants to pay people back when we've been hurt. I heard a story one time about Mr. Smith calling up Mr. Jones, lived on the same street, didn't know each other very well. Mr. Smith calls up Mr. Jones at 3 o'clock in the morning and says, Look, this is Mr. Smith down the street. Your dog's barking. He's keeping me awake. Shut him up. Long pause. Click. Three o'clock the next morning, Mr. Smith's phone rings. And it's Mr. Jones down the street. And he said, just thought I'd tell you, this is Mr. Jones. I don't have a dog. Now, why wait? Well, there's just that little thing in us, isn't there? So, let's talk about how to handle it. It says, never pay back evil for evil. Plan on doing what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved. But leave room for wrath. Now, what does that mean? Well, there have been discussions down through the ages as to the interpretation of that, and there are three basic discussions about that passage, and I think all three of them fit. One of them says that means leave room for your own wrath. Don't get surprised when you're angry. Allow for your own anger. You're going to be angry sometimes. Some people says. So that means leave room for someone else's wrath, and certainly that's true too. And some people say that means leave room for God's wrath, and that's true also. When I was going through college, I had a job uh, at a gas station, one of my summer jobs, and I was a, a pump jockey, they used to call them back then. And this was before self-service, and, and my job was just to go out and fill up people's gas tanks. 
Well, that was a shock for me because it was the first time I had ever worked with the general public. Now, how many of you in here work with the general public? Lots of you. I'm, what I'm about to say will not be a surprise to you. People are jerks. You know that? You've heard me say that before. Some of them are mean jerks. Some of them are stupid jerks. But all of us are jerks. I didn't realize that. And people would come in for no reason. Now, you, it's tough to mess up putting gas in somebody's tank. Unless you spilled on the car, and I didn't do that. But people would come in with such an attitude. And at first, I got so furious with them. I, this was a surprise to me. Now, to have strangers yell at me, that was a, and boy, I just wanted to take it to them. I left absolutely no room for my own anger or for detaching from my reaction to them. Secondly, I was surprised that they would be angry for absolutely no reason. It was such a shock to me. And so I wasn't leaving room for their anger. The other day I was driving on the road. This has happened to you. And Beck and I pulled, pulled into another lane, and I probably cut a guy off. I don't remember cutting a guy off, but I probably did. This guy went absolutely ballistic. I mean, had this big old high dump truck and whatever, and he pulling around and exercising his digitals, uh, giving me many gestures, fists and single fingers and so on and so forth, and yelling, just looking at him. Pulls in front of me, slows down, you know. We're going along 20 miles an hour. <laughs> you know? But I literally had to leave room for his anger, you know. I wasn't about to crowd him with his anger. It's his anger, you know. Had to leave room for his anger. Well, I learned that that summer. Because the old guy that run the filling station was Rex Cook. Old guy, about 60 years old, always had a chaw of tobacco in his mouth there. Or brown streaks down here. Yeah. He'd sit in there and watch all these people come in. Now, this is a small town. He knows everybody. Knows everybody. People come in. He'd watch them. I'd come in. I'd say, could you believe that guy? I couldn't believe he was yelling at me. Rex goes, oh, Joey, don't worry about it. He said, they've had some family problems for a while. He probably set off about that. No big deal. Then he'd watch people drive by. He'd say, no. There goes Dick Shaw. He hasn't been in about six months. I probably said something to offend him. <laughs> this guy, believe it or not, became a, a, a foreshadowing of an image of God to me. Because I was just operating out of my event perspective. But Rex was operating out of his whole time relationship perspective. So he knew the causes. He knew the reasons. And therefore, he could exercise objectivity. When it says, leave room for the wrath of God, that's what it's talking about. It's talking about not wading in with your own assumptions. You know, any response that is subjective 
Any response to anger that is subjective is defective. I want you to remember that. I wasn't the one who said that, by the way. Hegel said that. Kant and Hegel had an estimation that justice could only be done from an objective standpoint. And they said whenever we get in there and we try to make things right ourselves, we are going to err. Lucretius, ancient Roman philosopher, said the same thing. He said, each man, inasmuch as he is judge, will inflict more vengeance than any civil law would do. So what they are saying, what they are warning uh, warning us about that concurs with Scripture is that we have no business getting in the business of vengeance. Our very pull emotionally should be a warning. As a matter of fact, C.S. Lewis said, the desire is the danger signal. Remember that. The desire is the danger signal. So what is Scripture saying? You just got to restrain yourself? You just got to not respond as you want to? No, it's not saying that. Thomas Paine had a misreading of Christianity when it came to this particular subject. He said, Christians are to have the spirit of the spaniel. I don't know how many of you know the character of a cocker spaniel dog, but they have the gentlest character. And you can smack them and they come right back up and lick your hand, see? Well, Thomas Paine misread Christianity at that point because that's not what this is talking about. This is not talking about some mamby-pamby response to someone who has deeply hurt you or continues to persecute you unjustifiably. This is talking about the toughest response of all time, so tough that if you try this without Jesus Christ in your heart, you will either get an ulcer or kill somebody because you've exploded and you've kept it in there too long. Now, this requires the residence of God. So therefore, let me go further with you and read to you the last verse that we're going to discuss this morning. It says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It is just talked about giving a place to God, giving room for your neighbor's anger, giving room for your own anger, decathecting. this. In the old days of, uh, of counseling, we had, a, we had a term called decathecting. You know, a catharsis is when you let all the emotions go. Decathecting is when you separate yourself from those emotions. And so, it's talking about separating yourself from all of that stuff so that God can handle it. Say, God, this is yours. And responding with the opposite kind of act, a good act, an act of mercy. Now, if you do that, the people who are called of God will have a deep regret for what they've done. And it will be like burning coals on their head. They'll say, wait a minute, what am I doing? This is, this is not what I want to do. But whether or not they have that feeling is not any of our business. Our business is to stick to the very simple, plain fact that for every evil we're rendered, we are to return good. This is not a deep theological message, folks. 
This is not something that's going to take weeks and weeks to explain. You know perfectly well what I'm talking about. That anybody that hurts you, you return good for evil. Somehow, you do something that will benefit them. Whether it is prayer, or it is presenting them with something, or somehow uh, relieving their pain, whatever it is, every act that offends you, you pay back good for evil. Jesus said, what good is it for you to be able to love those who love you? Or to do good that doesn't do good to you? No big deal. Everybody can do that. But pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies. Do good to those who would harm you. Now that's a tough thing. And it requires the presence of God. But let me tell you what it does for us. What it does for us is it allows us to see the advancement of the kingdom of God. Because if your pain is to serve any purpose, it ought to serve a positive purpose, right? Not just not doing what's wrong, but doing what's right. So that God's kingdom is advanced. Justin Martyr talked about the time when when Christians were persecuted. He was an early church father. And he said, we did not withdraw our claim to Jesus Christ when we were captured and tortured, when we were set on fire, when we were cut by hooks, when we were set about by wild animals. We did not stop blessing God and praying for our captors. And the more we were tortured, and the more we prayed, the more people began to worship Jesus Christ. There was another person that I read about some time ago who was a part of an army who overtook a country. Before they overtook that country, the communists had control. And the communists happened to have a particular group of Christians in prison. And these Christians were tortured daily by these communists. And this particular group of Christians every day prayed for their captors. Every day tried to encourage and communicate the love of God to their captors. When this third army took over, they put the communist torturers in the same cells as the Christians. And this one man who wrote this piece said, I watched these Christians every day pray for the people who were in jail with them, bind up their wounds of torture, give them their last piece of bread. And I knelt down to the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know when the kingdom of God can advance? The kingdom of God can advance when you are most hurt. The kingdom of God can advance when you are most challenged. That's when it has its day, when it is most noticeable. Luther used to say, it's in the heat of the battle that you see the loyalty of the soldier. It is no trick to treat everybody nice when you're being treated nice. 
the tremendous witness of God's grace is to be able to love and pray for someone who's hurting you and to do them good instead of doing them evil. Pray with me. God, there, there could be folks here this morning who have never really come up to the promise of the first 12 chapters of the book of Romans, who don't know what overflowing love and grace is available to them, no matter what kind of life they've lived, no matter what they've done, it's still available to them in Jesus Christ. God, if there are those this morning who want to have that in their lives, who want to trade old lives for new, let them invite you into their hearts. Accepting the forgiveness that is in Christ, admitting their sins but wanting to turn from them, and just basking in the glory of your love. And for those of us who have done that, Lord, who accepted that wonderful promise, but we find ourselves now at the end of chapter 12. We find ourselves hooked into anger. There's someone who is our enemy now. And we feel like getting some revenge. We feel at least like just doing something that would be neutral instead of killing them like we want to. God, teach us the maturity of your word and of your son. We live with his spirit in us. We know it is possible to love as he loved, to forgive no matter how much we're hurt. God, help us. And just as the brer rabbit picked all that tar off by the briar patch, by those thorns, help us to hop in the briar patch of forgiveness. And as we forgive, and as we treat others with goodness and kindness, help all of that tar of revenge to be picked from our lives so that we can go on our way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.